to the uh, meeting today. I am the vice chairman. The chairman's been detained slightly, and she'll be here in just a moment. Meantime, I'm going to ask Joel to read the uh, uh, the opening statement. Sorry, I was looking for it on my paper. All right. Thank Welcome, you. everybody. This is the regular meeting of the Louisville Metro Board of Zoning Adjustment to hear the cases this advertised and docketed for hearing today. In accordance with KRS Chapter 61, this meeting is being conducted by live video teleconference. Members of the public were informed of the option of viewing and participating virtually or in person at the Old Jail Auditorium located at 514 West Liberty Street. Public notice has been provided and materials have been made available for review by the public. The following rules are in place for today's meeting. First, please silence all cell phones. Second, please be courteous and respectful to the board and your fellow citizens. Third, agendas and staff reports are located near the entry of the auditorium or on louisville.legistar.com. For those participating virtually, chat messages are not part of the record and not monitored by all board members. Please refrain from sending messages to the panel. If you have any questions, you may send messages to the host. And finally, today's proceedings are being recorded. Anyone wishing to adjust the board or address the board must do so from the podium or virtually. Members of the staff have inspected each of the sites that will be subject of the hearings today. Keep in mind there are time limits in effect for today's meeting. An accumulative time limit, time limit of 15 minutes shall be granted to all those in support of the request. An accumulative time limit of 15 minutes shall be granted to all those in opposition of the request and an accumulative time limit of 15 minutes shall be granted to all interested parties that are neutral to the request. The applicant shall be granted a five minute rebuttal. The staff report and other presentations are part of the official record. If you plan on speaking, if you're in the auditorium, please fill out a speaker's form as soon as possible. They're in the back corner of the room on the table. Those participating virtually must submit an online speaker's form or notify the host by the chat message function. Priority shall be given to the speaker cards in the order they are received and only those who have completed the speaker's form will be allowed to speak. The procedure for non-appeals, including conditional use permits and variances is as follows. Of course, take this out. Probably wing those. Not prepared. The case manage, or the case number and a brief description of the request will be read. Staff will make a presentation. The applicant or their representative will make a presentation and or be available for questions by the board. Then any persons in favor of the pro proposal will be heard. Then neutral parties will be heard. And those are people that are neither in support nor in opposition to the proposal. Next, the opposed um, to the proposal will be heard. Then the applicant or the representative will have an opportunity to rebut. Usually only one person will be allowed to speak in rebuttal. After rebuttal, there'll be no further oral arguments, so please speak at the proper time. Pursuant to KRS Chapter 61 and the board bylaws, the board's deliberations and voting today will be held immediately following the public hearing for each case and will be open to any interested parties. Any statement related to the cases, however, must be made during the public hearing. No party will be allowed to speak during the decision-making deliberations of the board. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Okay, at this time we'll have a roll call. Horton. Present. Leanhart. Here. Here. Ford. Here. Howard. Present. All right, very good. And next we'll uh, swear in the staff. If all the staff will stand, please. All one of you over here. 
Thank you so much. You all swear to tell the truth today in all your testimony. Thank you so much. Okay, be seated. Next is our first case. It's case number 23, variance 0119. Uh, and let's see, Jay. I didn't, I didn't swear Jay in. Jay's online. You... Jay, did you stand, yeah. Jay, when I swore you all in? Well, let me go ahead and do that. I'm here. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Jay, do you swear to tell the truth today? Yes. Thank you so much. Name and address. Well, no, it's Jim Luckett, Louisville Metro Planning Design Services staff, 444 South 5th Street, 40202. Very good. Please proceed. Can you pull up your my presentation? J Jay, you should be the presenter. You should be. Well, okay, I'll do it myself. All right, yeah, got it. Pull it up real quick. All right. This is 23 variance 0119. Uh, the case is known as HOM flats at 6001 outer loop. Um, the applicant is requesting a variance from land development code table 5.3.1 to exceed the 35 foot maximum pipe up to 10 feet for a total height of 45 feet and a variance of 10 feet. Uh, the applicant is proposing to construct 252 multifamily dwellings on a little over 15 acres. It's a mix of two and four story buildings are proposed. Uh, the zoning change uh, 20 zone 0120 had the same number of units um, and those were all in three story buildings on that original proposal. Uh, Transportation planning and MSD have approved the preliminary development plan. And so here's the site context. It's along outer loop uh, to the east of Preston Highway in the Highview area, uh, zoned R6. You can see the zoning in the surrounding area. There are some pockets of commercial along outer loop uh, and then other mostly R4 around the site. Here's the subject aerial. Uh, you can see there's a couple of, there, there's a religious institution churches on either side of the uh, site. Uh, we have some larger lot single family in the rear and some more standard residential subdivisions across the street. So here's the applicant's uh, proposed development plan. Uh, they are proposing three four story buildings. Uh, there's an L shaped building in the center and then the two other longer buildings. And then they have two story buildings closer to the front of the site. Here's the elevations provided by the applicant. Uh, you can see the, the four story building elevations is the uh, requested variance. This is the uh, currently the subject site. It was formerly the High Life Swim Club. Uh, right now it's vacant. It's been vacant for a while. Uh, here's one of the um, St. Athanasius on the left side. Uh, there's some of the residential across the street. Uh, some other looks at some of the residential across the street on our loop. And here's the uh, Oklahoma Church of Christ on the other side of the site. Um, staff does find the variance is adequately justified and meets the standard review. And there is a revised detailed district development plan that will be heard this Thursday at the Planning Commission, and that will have to be uh, recommended to Metro Council for final approval due to a binding element. Any required actions today would be approved to deny the variance. Thank you, Jay. Now let me officially turn the meeting over to our chairperson. Thank you for showing up. Thank you, Vice Chair Budwarf and Mr. Luckett. Appreciate it. For the record, we have board members Vozos here. Thank you.
question. On our information here, it says MSD is still reviewing the preliminary mm -hmm. development plan. Have they approved that? Yes, I got an email this morning that they had uh, they had a final comment when I published the staff report, and they have since approved. Thank you. Any other questions for staff? I have one, Madam Chair. Jay, uh, the revised plan that's coming before the Planning Commission Thursday has no bearing on this case, right? Because there's a variance um, now that we're looking at something that was discussed at the previous hearing in 2020. Well, no, this is a new okay, proposal. So this is a revised proposal. Uh, the variance today is for the currently proposed plan. Um, you know, the the DDP will have to have the variance approved to go forward. I think a lot of times we would usually bring it to the Planning Commission first, but in this case, since it has to go to Metro Council um, and the docket space was open to bring it to go ahead and bring it to Boza here. Uh, that was kind of why we decided to just go ahead and take it when it because it was ready. Thank you. Let me just ask one more thing, Jay, and you may have said this in your presentation. I just didn't hear it. Is this the same group that uh, submitted in 2020? No, it's a different okay, developer. Different. Thank you. Hey, I don't believe there are any other. <clears throat> any other questions at this point? Oh, I'm sorry. One thing I forgot to mention, it's pertinent. Um, there is a child care on site. that's um, permitted under the special standards. Not that you all are reviewing that. It's just a, I thought it was an important part of the plan that I forgot to mention. Thank how, you. How many children will that serve? Do you know? That might be a, a question for the applicant. Um, I don't, okay. the, the standards in the land development code don't really limit it. I don't think Joel would know better than I. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, Chair Bond, I can I can chime in on that. So the change in the child care regulations in 2021 allowed for child care facilities unrestricted by the number um, on our end, at least uh, on sites that provide 20 or more multifamily units that are of an acre or greater. So it was part of um, uh, the Office of Planning and Louisville Metro government's push to expand access to child care. Okay. So, yeah, child care is being incorporated into this proposal by right. Thank you so much. Joe, let me ask you a question pertaining to that. So, is the child care just for the residents of this, or could that child care facility take people outside of this? The child care is unrestricted to the user. Unrestricted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I have a speaker card for um, Shell Aurora. Mr. Aurora, would you approach the podium, please? Would you raise your right hand so I can swear you in. Do you swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? <clears throat> Name and address, please. Vishal Aurora, 220 Lyon Street, Northwest Suite 500, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49503. Please proceed. Thank you. Um, Jay, just so I can understand the, the, the technical um mechanism here am i telling you when to change the screen yes just tell me when you're ready for the just next you know slide okay yeah. just making sure i wasn't <laughs> missing something okay uh thank you good afternoon and thank you for having me this uh for hearing this case i want to spend just a few minutes um outlining the, the concepts that we're, we're pr proposing here and, and what what's prompted the variance specifically and why we think it's a favorable uh, outcome 
Jill, if you could uh, flip forward, I'm going to skip the longer part of our commercial, which is the first handful of slides here. Um, but just if you go two more slides forward for me, Joel, a third, I lied. One more, please. Thank you. Uh, Magnus Capital Partners is our, is our team, is our, is our development company. We started a workforce housing platform called Home Flats a handful of years ago, and it is exactly what it sounds like. All we do is build high quality workforce housing in communities that need it. Um, we've organized that mission around home flats to have a positive impact on communities. You heard a reference to childcare, for example, that's co-located on these sites when possible. Um, but more importantly, or equally important, I should say, we focus on the workforce housing segment, which is sorely needed in, in housing stock terms in, in, in this city and, of course, in other cities around the country. Uh, you will, one, one linchpin of that underwriting is the types of amenities that we can offer our residents. Most residents making these incomes, and we'll just broadly call it between 60 and 120% of AMI approximately, have very few housing choices. The apartments they choose to rent in are typically outdated, both in the unit, of course, as well as on the outside where there are seldom to none, uh, no amenities at all. We've decided to flip that around as best we can by offering a lot of amenities for free for the residents, gyms, yoga studios, uh, dog washing stations, um, co-working stations, et cetera. So in order to do that, to create a, a vigorous indoor and outdoor amenity program, we create open space wherever we can, wherever it works within the land use confines. In this case, and I'll take you to a slide in, in a few moments, that will compare the old plan that was approved in 2020 that had um, nearly 11 buildings on it and very little remaining open space compared to our plan, which has five buildings and a lot more open space. And that is intentional. It does require a little extra height, which is why we're having this conversation, um, but it does create a much more vibrant and um, enjoyable living experience, we believe, for the for the residents. So, Joel, I'm going to ask you to, if you could forward, forward, um, forward, 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 forward. This is a picture of our yoga studio on the last slide. This is a picture of our gym. If you go one more slide forward, this is a picture of actual units we have built to give you a sense of the quality um, that we insist upon. Open floor plans, custom cabinets, stainless steel appliances. Again, these are these are things that you would typically see in a nicer class A development or in a condominium project or, of course, in a single family home. You would not typically see these in a workforce housing development. Um, but that's what we've decided to do, and that's it's a very well-received product in the marketplace. Um, next slide, please. Some of the amenities that I was describing are mentioned here. We have a few slides on them, but a few that I mentioned to you, there's bike storage rooms, game rooms, fitness studios, uh, free fitness classes, cafes, et cetera. Uh, on the far right, you'll notice there's indoor and outdoor play spaces. It's also very important. Uh, we do expect there to be small families from time to time that, that do stay with us, of course. Next slide, please. Some additional conveniences and amenities that we offer with our sites. You'll notice on the lower left, 
the um, ever-growing problem of packages. We're also trying to solve that, of course, because it's not just people in houses that have them, but people of all stripes have packages coming in all the time. So we have these sort of features that we've um, insisted upon. I want to make a note that the key fob entry is a security aspect for us. So every resident is given a magnetic key fob that ensures secure access to buildings and their own unit. And that's it. So it's a highly secured um, amenity that we insist upon. Next slide, please. And of course, pets, we've found that our residents tend to have a lot of pets. And so we've responded to that by giving them uh, stations and um, uh, play spaces for further pets as well as outdoor way stations. Next slide, please. I'm just gonna touch upon this very briefly. Uh, I could spend hours on it, but we're, we're trying to engage this community, uh, our, our own residents, but also insist that they engage with the broader community. So we do a lot of efforts uh, to engage with local businesses to program events for our residents for free on site as often as we can. It helps, helps the um, integration of our, of our development into the broader um, community. It's very important. I've spent hours talking about it. I won't. Uh, but I want to make sure you uh, were aware of, again, why we do what we do when you get to the site plan uh, should become more apparent. Joel, if you could go to the next slide, please. Next one. And the next one. Right. High level, these are not statistics you, you don't already know, um, but are worth highlighting, of course. There is a, an acute shortage of affordable units in the metropolitan area. Our project of uh, of these few hundred units is just a small effort, but a meaningful effort nonetheless to help solve this problem. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Right. On screen is the previously approved plan from 2020. You notice the unit count is unchanged from our plan, which is also 252 units. They had one and two, three, one, two and three bedroom apartments in there. However, you will note quickly, this looks like a very typical garden style multifamily development pattern. Um, there are said 11 buildings here, very little open space left over. On the Northwest corner, as Jay was pointing out, there are some larger single family lots up to the Northwest there. The, while this plan did respect the setback, it did so to a minimum. And the distance to that single family or those single family homes rather on the Northwest um, is near enough where it would make an impact upon those neighbors. Go to the next slide, please. I'd like to show you our proposed site plan. And I'm just going to start from that same northwest corner, and you'll realize that the nearest building to that neighbor, the nearest building to that neighbor, is quite a distance off. Calling building B there, the, the long bar-shaped building, uh, which is further buffered by, of course, a storm basin and some parking, and then eventually the, the building itself. So you've you've respected the privacy, of course, of that neighbor, um, but you've also done a few other things with this site plan. You drastically reduce the number of buildings uh, in half, roughly. You've also 
congregated the denser buildings. So the three buildings in the center around that green space are the four-story buildings that are prompting this variance request, which I'll get to in, in, in just a moment in further detail. But you'll see that the, the massing is, segregated, is congregated rather to the center of the site. It is not on the edges of the site. It's not even on the um, uh, along outer loop itself. So there was some sensitivity that we applied to the outer loop frontage because that of course sits across the street from a more as as uh, Jay mentioned a traditional single family track uh, land use pro, uh, pattern. So those buildings up front are two stories in nature, and we have some elevations to show you if you'd like to see those. Um, but the idea is to create a, a some logical transition and a respectful transition architecturally from single family to multifamily. So the denser four-story product is sort of hidden, if you will, or more centered to the site, um, but still allowing for a lot more open space. So you'll now see that that green space that wraps the three L-shaped buildings is A, significant, B, it allows us to program in some of those outdoor amenities that I mentioned to you earlier, a few moments ago. Um, Playground, you'll notice on the building to the left, which is building A, on the lower portion of that building is where our child care center or facility would be located. Uh, and I'd like to just reiterate that is open to more than just residents, but to the community at large. The way you've organized the traffic flow is to come in to that center roundabout. We'd go left to the drop-off location for the child care and be able to loop back around without much trouble. So it isolates the childcare traffic from the rest of the site, but still provides a meaningful amenity. The other thing you can't quite see on this view here is there is existing tree stand just west of the, of the current uh, swimming pool. Uh, there's an existing tree stand there that's denoted just east of building A. There's the four, um, yeah, right there where his mouse is hovering. That is approximate to what is existing tree stand today. Our effort is to try to preserve that tree stand. It is meaningful, it is mature. Um, and so what this site plan programming allows us to do is to organize ourselves around it and create some natural shade and some places to, to gather. And also with the extra green space in this uh, plan allows us to program things in like pickleball courts and dog runs, et cetera. Uh, these are amenities that we've put in on previous projects. They're very well received. Um, and we hope that this, be, uh, if the variance is approved, this would uh, allow that program to, to continue. Next slide, please. This page is a summary of the changes from the previous 2020 plan. With the exception of the first one, which is number of units, which is unchanged, in our view, all other categories have been improved upon. Back, I'm sorry. Um, I mentioned the number of buildings is drastically reduced. The parking has been reduced significantly. We are still adequately parked, to be clear. We're above the one-to-one -one ordinance minimum, well below the two-to-one ordinance maximum. And we're parked at 1.21. The ILA is improved significantly, almost by, almost by double. 
18,000 square feet. I mentioned the open space has increased greatly. And then the setbacks are the following lines, um, northern, eastern, western property line setbacks are greatly increased. Perhaps the most interesting one, though, as I mentioned to you, is the very last one, which the distance from the closest neighbor has doubled. The net net, we feel like we've improved upon the programming. We've left tree stand in place. We've added some additional needed amenities, uh, but done so architecturally in a very respectful way uh, by ensuring that the the density, the massing of the four-story buildings are centered into the site and not along the perimeter, where it'd be more intrusive or uh, potentially of objection by, by some of the neighbors. Um, I, I do wanna make a note, I did receive a call from one of the neighbors who lives across the street. This is Mr. Parker from memory. Uh, Mr. Parker had some concerns I walked him through this qualitatively. He was ultimately comfortable. I don't want to misquote him, but he was comfortable after our conversation. And that's the only conversation we've had with any of the adjacent land use owners. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, this is this is a very interesting slide. I, I maybe should have led with this perhaps. Uh, the nature of this request, of course, is a height variance. On the left-hand side is an elevation of the previous approved plan. It did meet the definition of the 35-foot height maximum because it's measured, of course, midway between uh, parapet and roof peak. But at peak, it's actually at 45 feet. Even though it was three stories, there's a, there's a build-up to the roof, right? A 612 pitch or a 412 pitch will let you build up. This is a 612 they're showing you here. This is what they had, what was previously approved. And you can see it peaks at 45 feet. On the right side is our elevation, which is a four-story building, also peaking at 45, because there's no buildup of the roof. It's a flat roof approach there. And so in our view, it's a more efficient use of 45 feet to the right, to the right-hand version, of course, than compared to the left-hand version. There is a place for the latter, for the, for the left-hand side, sorry, I'm not saying there isn't a place. I just think that if you're going to introduce the visual massing of 45 feet that you encounter as a pedestrian, you might as well make the most of it and add some needed housing units. And so that's our approach on the right-hand side that you can see. <clears throat> Go to the next slide, please. I'm going to show you a couple images and then I'll conclude my remarks. Uh, this is a view of the, of the two-story building on the outer loop. You can see the inset on the left there showing you what this view is, but this is an example of what you would see from the outer loop. So it's two stories. This would be facing the opposite, the single family story, uh, a single family across the street, excuse me, uh, which is both single and two-story. Uh, and you can see here, we introduced some roof pitch, again, to make it architecturally interesting and respectful of where it's coming from. So it offers a bit of a transition before you get to the more dense four-story rectilinear structures. Um, next slide, please. This is, a, this is the, a view from the west, looking at that bar-shaped building. On the right-hand side is where the childcare facility would be located, the ground floor. But you can see, 
for a four-story building, it's not any taller than a three-story building would have been. Because the, the, the way you look at the roof peak would measure uh, in similar ways. And the next slide, please. So this is a view of our of that first building, building C, when you drive in. Uh, this corner you can see in front of you here, this is where your, the leasing office would be contained as well as some of the indoor amenities for our residents. And you can see immediately to the left is, a, is that green space. And that green space across it is the childcare facility. And it would go, it goes up as it shows you on the left-hand side, it goes, it heads uh, north and then it goes east behind the edge of the building that you can see on the right-hand side of this page. So it's wrapped by green on two sides. Uh, it also provides, obviously, as you can see, a more uh, interesting entrance uh, to the site as well. And again, this is four stories um, centered to the middle of the site uh, and not near the any neighbors or uh, objectionable land uses. Next slide. That is the conclusion of my remarks. I'm happy to take any questions. Members, questions? Oh, Madam Chair, may I? Yes, please. Uh, Mr. Aurora, uh, I thank you very much for the presentation. Also, the um, innovative plan. Um, I also like the three points I saw in your vision statement. Um, I want to know, though, what is the material for the exterior of the buildings? The materials will be a, a, a variety of uh, vinyl, stone, brick, mostly. Okay. And we'll work with staff on, on fine Well, I've just asked, um, yes. have you all, has the design already been reviewed in terms of elevations? This was a good rehearsal for what this was a good rehearsal for you t today for Thursday. Thank you. <laughs> Jay, did you want to answer that question? And yeah, I think the um, the elevations will be more formally reviewed uh, at the planning commission, and they will consider them in in context with the uh, you know the comprehensive plan, including the uh, neighborhood plan in the area uh, that's in effect. Okay, thank you. Just I'm just getting ahead of myself because I'll be there Thursday. <laughs> but I do like your innovation. Um, I'm glad to see something that is different from what we're used to seeing in, in Louisville. Thank you. Thank you. And MSD has approved the plan, is my understanding. Yes. Yes. All right. Let me ask a couple quick questions, uh, and, and this is just informational stuff for us. Uh, you were big on security. Is there a security guard at these op at these places? Do you have security? Like 24 hours a day, or uh, there is um, there's a full time leasing staff that's there, and then uh, full time maintenance uh, and technicians also. 24 hours around on call, yes. Yeah. Not say living on site necessarily, but yes, always available. Yes. Okay. Um, and what are the rents on these? The rents will ultimately depend on the county AMI at the time we start construction. That's the. Yeah, because it'll be it's based on the AMI uh, for for the county, so it really it will depend on on that final timing. 
Okay, and uh, I had one more, but now. So I noticed two entrances on there. So those are all oh, that's been approved by transportation. Now. Looks, I mean, look, I'm like, completely, it looks good to me. I just was, some of this is just curious. I am a little concerned personally about the parking. You know, when I see one, two, and three bedroom apartments, I have to assume that when you go to a two bedroom or three bedroom, there's multiple cars and families. Uh, and when you only have a one to 1.2 ratio, and you've got staff, and you have other things. It seems like that's the worst place to cut. I, I, would have, on that? I would have agreed with you uh, a few years ago. We've actually, so to be clear, we, uh, the majority of these units are actually ones and twos. Uh, the minority is, is three bedrooms. Um, we, we monitor our parking quite closely. We've actually found that we're actually parked at 1.1, believe it or not, uh, for the exact same product. Um, the, and there's a variety of reasons for that, which I won't, I won't bore you with today, but I think we're, we're struggling to see any developments that are parking, actually parking a level 1.3. And so we, we think we're more than, more than adequately covered, uh, in this case, uh, we're also on a major, on a major, uh, bus network line as well here, as you know. Um, and so I think that'll help. Good project. Good luck to you. So the 1.3 is based on your experience with other similar properties that you've developed? Yes. And specifically, we're actually parked at 1.1 on other projects. Yes. Question? Um, I couldn't see it exactly. Are there two water features in the north end of that uh, uh, diagram? Are they detention basins or? They are detention basins, okay. yes. Both of them. There's a larger one and a smaller one, right? Yes. Okay, how do you, if you know, how deep will those be? Um, I don't have that uh, to hand, but I can get the uh, water table, the finished water level for you. Okay, have you all considered fencing those? Uh, yes. Good, because you're in the middle of, of all these uh, uh, individual homes and kids and, and the kids that'll be living there. It's a real draw for them to head to that detention basin. That's great, thank you. You're welcome. I don't recall seeing basins on the prior plan. Were there? There was there at least one to the far western edge of the property, okay. just given the natural grade of the property, it wants to drain that way. So we have a similar one on the west end side. Ours is a bit larger. Okay. Uh, but there was one on the previous plan as well. Okay. Thank you. So for the board members, since this is going to the planning commission that uh, chair uh, or uh, board member Howard mentioned, uh, considerations for parking, detention, MSD, that's all wrapped up in a revised detailed district development plan review. You know, because the detention basin issue was, the question was brought up, it is interesting to note that the previous plan utilized the detention basin area as part of their open space calculation. Uh, this place is, this project, as far as their amenities, the open spaces are not being used as a recreational feature like was the case in the previous plan. Thank you. Okay, members, if there are no other questions for Mr. Aurora. Uh, I just had one. Yes. Sorry. What's, um, do you have any history on what's the average length of a family or a person, or the occupancy of units as, as they rent? Do they rent for a year or? Um, our standard, years? our standard lease term is 12 months. Okay. And they. And that's the that's the vast vast majority of our rent roll. Typically, our rent roll is around ninety to ninety five percent twelve month leases, and the balance is usually those that are electing for month to month leases. 
you have any idea how how often they turn? Um, I can tell you, broadly speaking, the industry turns over roughly 40%, depending on a variety of factors, of course, around 40% per year is the turnover of every um, of the leases. Uh, our experience has been closer to 35% looking at our portfolio, but it's sort yeah. of... I just wondered if because of the amenities and the design of your prop, your developments, if if that encouraged longer residency in the... Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's certainly our hope to, to um, reduce turnover and, and, and create... Um, create um, more stickiness, if or you will, of yes. But we also have, and also embedded in that in that um, statistic, maybe unfairly, is that when people move units within our development, they are technically part of that turnover. They may have grown, they may have got a kid, something happens, uh, or whatever the case may be. So we have seen people, um, anecdotally anyway, um, talk about the uniqueness of our amenity package uh, vis-a-vis their options, right? Usually they don't have many choices at that price point. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. I have a speaker card for case number. All right. Thank you. I don't believe there anybody is anybody else signed up online to speak. Yes. They're, they're... They had a question, but I'd rather them state it if they can than in case they have a follow-up. Joshua Watkins, um, you should be able to control your microphone now, and you can ask your question. Yes, I Watkins need to be sworn in. Excuse me, uh, Mr. Watkins. Yes, ma'am. We can't see you. I don't know if you can turn your video on. Um, if not, I'm going to proceed with swearing you in. Do you raise your, thank you. Would you raise your right hand? Do you swear that the testimony you're about to give is the truth? Yes, ma'am. Name and address, please. Um, my name is Joshua Watkins. Um, the address be 6105 Outer Loop uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, 40219. Uh, I'm the minister for the Oklahoma Church of Christ, and I had one question that I wanted to ask earlier. Um, and my only concern was it may have been answered uh, by Mr. Aurora, but was uh, the, does the local fire department have the capability and the equipment to handle emergency needs at a 45 foot height. That was my only question. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Aurora gets an opportunity for rebuttal. Uh, my understanding is yes, they do. So you've had discussions with the local fire department? With through staff we've spoken to, yes. Okay, all right. Sir, does that answer your question? Yes, ma'am. We're excited to be neighbors. Thank you very much. Members, any questions for Mr. Watkins? Don't believe there are. Okay. All right. I don't think there's anybody else signed up to speak on this case. I could have given maybe a teaching moment, but I don't think it's necessary. Normally, those ladders can go up to seven stories on those fire trucks. Ah. Okay. So it depends, but I'm sure the uh, volunteer fire departments are used to having those kind of ladders. Okay. All right, Mr. Watkins, uh, did you hear Member Howard's comment? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. 
I'm, I'm ignorant on the fire department, but I was appreciative of the answer. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, you're Thank welcome. You. Okay. If there are no other questions for uh, Mr. Watkins, I'll close the public hearing. We'll go into deliberations. Members, any discussion on what we've heard? Well, Madam Chair, I really appreciate all the questions and the uh, discussion that we had today. Um, I'm going to hear this again on Thursday, but I've already received my training for today. <laughs> um, but I really appreciate the uh, proposal. I and I know it's for a 45 foot height variance. On the variance is only for 10 feet, though. Um, and when we had the other one, it, the other plan had the highest point at 45 feet. So I don't see a problem with this. Uh, so therefore, I'd like to make a motion. Please proceed. Um, regarding case number 23, variant 0119 for the HOM flats at Outer Loop, 6001 Outer Loop, I move that we approve the variance from the Land Development Code Section 5.3.1 to permit buildings to exceed the 35-foot maximum height by up to 10 feet. The location being the uh, 23 variance 0119, which is the property owned. <laughs> Outer loop. 6,001. Location. I'm, what did I say? 6,001. Okay, outer loop. Uh, the requirement is 35 feet, and the request is for 45 feet for those buildings that are to be four stories high in height. And the, and the variance would therefore be 10 feet. I base this on the uh, staff analysis and the testimony we've heard today. Is there a second? Second. And moved and seconded to approve 23 variants 0119. We're ready for a vote. Horton? Yes. Leanhard? Yes. Butterworth? Yes. Fozos? Yes. Ford? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. Your variance has been approved. It's a good plan. Thank you. And Madam Chair, I just thought of something. Yes. This development is going to be in the, in the southern part of uh, Louisville. Yes. I hope we get more. Uh, workforce housing developments like this because we might benefit from those 5,000 employees that they need in E-Town. Mm -hmm. Good comment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next item on the agenda is 23CUP0216. Molly. Name and address, please. Molly Clark, Office of Planning Staff, uh, 444 South 5th Street. Uh, let's see, I'll go to the next slide. So we're looking at a conditional use permit for a rehab home. Next slide. So the area this is located in is zone C2 in the downtown form district. Um, it was previously a retirement home. Uh, the applicant's proposing 16 to 24 residents, men and women. Uh, there is off-street parking available on-site. There's on-street parking both on East Jacob and uh, South Preston, and there's parking off the alley. So there is plenty of parking here. Um, and they're proposing 24-hour supervision at this site uh, where residents will stay up to 30 days where they'll, they'll be detoxing. <clears throat> there's no exterior changes proposed, and there's no other group housing CUPs within 1,000 feet. Uh, next slide. 
So when I wrote the staff report, I didn't have the square footages, but since the publication of the staff report, um, the applicant was able to provide me square footages of each uh, bedroom, and there is more than enough square feet to fit 24 people. Uh, so next slide, please. So here's uh, the zoning C2 downtown form. Uh, it's close to the South Preston Broadway intersection. Next slide. There's the aerial of the old retirement home. Uh, next slide. Here's a development plan. It's pretty much the aerial since they're not doing any changes. Next slide. Uh, here is a photo of the property from South Preston. Next slide. Uh, a view of the subject site from East Jacob Street. You can see the off street parking there. Next slide. Uh, this is a view from the adjacent alleyway. You can see where there's some existing parking areas right off that alley. Next slide. Uh, at the top is across the alley. It's uh, one of the new stations. I think it's Wave Three's parking lot. Uh, and then at the bottom there is across from uh, South Preston Street, which is another parking lot. Next slide. Up top is across from East Jacob Street. And then below uh, is looking down South Preston Street. Uh, next slide. So after receiving the exact square footages of each bedroom, it was determined by staff that they are meeting all of the standards of the conditional use permit for a rehab home. Uh, next slide. So required actions today are to approve or deny the proposed rehabilitation home. Uh, do you all have any questions? Members questions? No, we thank you for the update on this bedrooms. Yeah, it would've been hard to make a decision. Questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. I guess uh, you want to hear from the applicant, right? Thank you. Yes. The speaker card for Ryan Fenwick. Good afternoon, Ryan Good afternoon. Fenwick. Yes, would you raise your right hand, please? Uh, do you swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? I do. Name and address, please. Ryan Fenwick, 816 East Broadway. Uh, I'm very pleased to represent this applicant today. They've worked really hard to make sure that this is gonna be an appropriate space. They've worked really hard to contact their neighbors and they've really reached out. This is really a uniquely good opportunity for this exact building. This was previously a nursing home, so now it's gonna be a rehabilitation home. Um, what's really good about this location is that it's located right next to the Franciscan Kitchen. It's across from where the Louisville Community Grocery is gonna be built. And this applicant, because they have so much experience working with people who have, um, you know, mostly drug abuse problems, are very familiar with working with people that might be a little bit more difficult for other uses to be able to kind of accommodate having on the front step. Currently, the building's idle, so they're going to be providing a 24-hour presence right there on Preston Street. And again, I'm going to stress that they're they're very familiar with with working with the kind of population that you'll frequently see. Uh, kind of walking through that part of Preston Street. Um, Ladies and Gentlemen of Promise is an organization that I'm very familiar with. They're currently operating uh, rehabilitation services in West Louisville. I think they have a really strong track record. We have two representatives of the organization here today uh, who'll be happy to answer more detailed questions. Um, so that said, I think I'm gonna let you all ask any questions that you might have and not uh, spend too long given a speech about the property. You said there's a community grocery that's that's going to be located 
adjacent or fairly across close to the street. street across the street okay it's where the louisville community grocery plans on building a grocery cooperative okay all right i don't have any que other questions members yes yes tell us um i see that you're heavy here on physical and mental health uh and as listed here you have a psychiatrist which is highly unusual mm. um so is this a staff individual uh, or is this a psychiatrist on call? Let's bring up someone uh, from the organization. Thank you. So I'm not. Hi. Hi. So, you do, um, have you filled out a speaker card, ma'am? What that is. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. so sorry. All right. We, okay. And we can like continue. We can. I, I will swear her in. Thank you. All right. We can continue while we're waiting on the speaker okay. card. Do you swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? Yes, ma'am. Name and address, please. Um, Catherine Stonehan. Do you want my home address? Um, you can give your business address if it's affiliated with this case. Okay. So um, the main uh, business address is 2600 West Broadway, which is the Lyles Mall Suite 301. It's where our corporate uh, offices are located. Okay. Thank you. Please mm -hmm. proceed. So we do have um, our medical director is um, Dr. Afak, um, and he is on staff. So he is... Um, on site, um, two to three days a week, he oversees the rest of our medical staff, and we have a nurse practitioner uh, and a full nursing staff to provide 24-hour care for people who are going through detox, um, as well as to provide mental health uh, medications when needed. Thank you. So he is the psychiatrist that Mr. Horton referred to? Yes. Okay, thank you. Members, any, any other questions? Don't believe there are any. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Do we have any anyone else signed up to speak on this case? Don't have anyone online now, so unless okay. they're here, no. Okay. All right. If there are no other questions, I will close the public hearing and we'll go into deliberations. Madam Chair, um, I, I just want to make a statement. I'm uh, privileged to see that uh, Mrs. Bradling's building uh, is going to continue to be used in helping people. Um, she was a member of my church denomination. She and uh, as you know, you've heard it was used to be a rest home, a nursing home. And now this is still a, a proposed use that's going to be used in helping people. Yes. So um, I'm privileged to be here today to witness that the building is still going to be used for the purpose that, at, at least maybe not for the nursing home as much as it is still for a purpose of helping people. And uh, so I'm, if nobody else wants to make a motion, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I thought at one point there was a there was a motion child care facility there was uh, there, I thought at one point there was a child care facility there it may have been uh in recent years but it was a nursing home for years okay because members of my denomination were there <laughs> okay all right yes so okay uh regarding case number 23 cup 0216 of the Preston Street rehabilitation home at 726 South Preston Street I move that we uh 
approve the conditional use permit to allow a rehabilitation home under the land development code section 4.2.31. And I based this on the staff report with the update that we do not have to provide relief for our section for standard A because the staff's presentation gave us the square footage for each bedroom. Um, and I'm basing that on the other parts of the staff analysis and the testimony evidence we heard today. Oh, and the conditions on page eight of eight. I'll second that, Len Hart. Been moved and seconded to approve 23 CUP 0216. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Leanhart? Yes. Butter? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Ford? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. The CUP has been approved. Thank you. I'd like to say, too, that I'm impressed with the the um, mental health staff and the program yes. that, that you've set up here. Uh, it's one of very few that's thought out this well with individual family group therapy, et cetera. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. Good. Okay, that was the last case on the agenda. We do have. Sorry. Joe, any anything else for us? Joe was going to do some training and before he begins, um, and this is voluntary, but to a degree, um, because I'm looking at some of the cards I have and as a reminder, you're required to do 16 hours of training every 2 years. Um, and you can do it on your own, or we have some options that we send you emails. Um, if you've done anything related to building ethics governance um, on your own through your professional lives, please let me know because I don't really have anything for anybody other than Lula um, for 2023. Yeah, I might have some, and then I just did one that was from the San Diego. Uh, one yeah, that was anything done. That by the APA or any of its chapters, that counts. Um, okay. But anything generally done by the BIA, um, if you're, you and Rick kind of live in that world, that all counts. Okay. And Brian Davis and others, Emily, sometimes send out emails. If they send it out, then it counts. It's a little bit more broad than AICP, which is a higher level of a course. So. That one yeah, counts. That, that one. Yeah, so, if you attended was, uh, any of that, I all I that need Thursday, is the date that you attended it and how long, okay. and I will add it to your form. And the the site visit, Joe, I believe you led that of middle middle housing in uh, in Old Louisville. Yeah, that one absolutely counts. Okay. Yeah. All right, thank you. I'll try to send mine this week or next. Yeah, we need a form filed on December thirty first of every year, so don't. It's not a panic moment. I'm just kind of giving a heads close. up um, and I can look and see where each of you are. It's, it's unfortunately based on your initial appointment. And so you all have different horizons, some in this year, some in next year. And some of you might have to get caught up, but you know. So I have mine like written on a scratch piece of paper. Can you send me one of those forms so I can just fill it in? Yes. Okay, thank you. 
I would suggest sending Lula one too, and I'll fill that out because I've I've been busy. I know you're probably <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm hoping I've got it all caught up, and I won't need any more next year. <laughs> you may have enough to share with us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, do we need a quick break before we start the training? So, Lula, this is the training that was given to the Planning Commission some months ago on uh, just managing the public meetings, considering testimony, ex parte communication. You're welcome to stay. I mean, if you attended the if you if you if you attended the training that was given to the Planning Commission, I think a couple months ago, it's the same. It's Okay, it's a good yeah, it's a good video and the planning commission. Um, you know, we had a good discussion afterwards, so I'm going to try and get an hour of training in um, the, the video on managing the meeting is about 25 minutes long. Uh, there's a video before it on roles and responsibilities, and I want to start that video about halfway through because 1 of the topics that came up during the planning commission training afterwards was. Um, communication outside of public hearings, you know, uh, folks that are out in Floyd's Fork, they know about, you know, Floyd's Fork, they live that. But that's also a case that will eventually appear before the Planning Commission, the DRO, uh, Floyd's Fork, new form districts. And so there was a lot of conversation on, well, what happens if someone's talking to me about Floyd's Fork? You know, how far can I go in that conversation? So this first video that I'm going to show, at least the, the second half of it, will be the answer <laughs> to that uh, question that may come up later. I, I think, Laura, you recall that conversation um, at the Planning Commissioner training. Right. There, there was that. And then another question. So what I'll preface it with is this is kind of a national organization, and they preface their speech, their, their intro with this is generically applicable, but you're mileage may vary based on what jurisdiction you're in and one other conversation that came up as a result of the planning commission training is they talk about how to make a motion to deny and they do it differently than we do so we had a whole big conversation about why you need to ignore that piece <laughs> so and we can get into it after the training if it comes up again but okay but that was the bit one of the big discussion points afterwards is they were like listening to it saying but that's not how we do it and then i explained why that's okay. not how we do it. Okay. All right. Very good. The meeting or is this part of the public? No, apparently this, this is, is part this of the public is, meeting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Remember, uh, do you need five minutes or are you ready to dive right in? I'll dive. All right. We're ready. And I will let the board know that we still have the WebEx rolling. We're still in a quorum of the board, so we're still live. We can turn it off, but being that um, somebody might want to watch this training in the future, the recording allows that to happen. That's a good call. But I guess if we're doing just a link, I can, at your discretion, close the meeting out, the formal meeting, and then we can meet. I'll defer to Laura. I think it's cleaner just to leave the meeting going.
maybe a five minute break, maybe a five minute break, maybe a five minute break. Maybe a five minute break. Okay, we'll resume at 210. <laughs>
who are committed to creating vital communities. 40% of our members have attained required education Uh, and notices should all be go out to uh, property owners as well as being uh, following all the public uh, and always uh, and always before you don't want to blindside them at a meeting because really uh, if possible you should visit the site uh, unless you're not allowed to some cities don't allow you uh, if the worst noises we used to hear at planning commissioners when the, it's very important for you all as
uh, planning commissioners. To understand uh, how a meeting works and what they're what they should be, and most all planning and zoning commission meetings are public meetings, and that they still serve the public interest just by the very nature of having them of their existence. Um, they should be open to everybody, uh, and notices should all be go out to uh, property owners as well as being. Uh, following all the public notice procedures where in newspaper and now online. So really your responsibility as a planning commissioner, you need to look at being prepared. You need to read the materials prior to the meeting. Uh, the worst noises we used to hear at planning commissioners when the uh, planning commissioner opened their envelope that they'd gotten their whole packet in and it was the first time they'd looked at anything. Uh, you need to understand your codes and ordinances, particularly your comprehensive plan and zoning ordinance. Uh, if possible, you should visit the site, uh, unless you're not allowed to. Some cities don't allow you uh, anything outside of the meetings. Uh, you should always contact staff if you have questions uh, and always before. You don't want to blindside them at a meeting because really um, staff is your friend in this. Uh, and not an adversary. And I want to really encourage you to play an active part in your meetings. Uh, you need to ask questions. And if you're not asking the question for yourself, you sometimes need to ask it for somebody else. Uh, we used to have a few planning commissioners when I was on plan commission uh, that just kind of glazed over in meetings and you knew they weren't understanding it. And a very dear friend of mine, uh, Commissioner, uh, he had a, a suggestion and he would say, can we have an educational moment and make staff explain to us what was going on? <clears throat> Mine, <clears throat> as being the only planner that had been on plan commission, I would ask staff to please clarify or remind me of what this issue was. So that helped fellow commissioners that don't, and particularly so they don't feel left out. So that's being active. Uh, you need to tell the staff when you're not going to be there on time, uh, be there, and you need to be there on time because a lot of uh, meetings require the quorum to be present uh, in, before they can even start. Um, so you need to listen to everybody, uh, particularly you listen to the staff report, the applicant will present their uh, case, uh, the public has the time in most of your meetings to uh, ask questions or make statements. Again, back to always asking questions. Uh, used to be an old saying that said the only dumb question was the question you didn't ask. So, um, and you also need to consider the project's relationship to the comprehensive and other plans. All right, it's really important because a lot of times you're contacted by a friend or a neighbor or somebody you meet in the grocery store <clears throat> and you're 
um, your job as a commissioner is to, first of all, uh, suggest that they attend the meeting or the hearings or send their comments to staff. It's kind of a dangerous situation sometimes when you're in a grocery store and your neighbor comes up to you and they want to tell you all about this case and you stand there and you go, uh-huh, yeah, hmm. And so then later you go to the meeting and you vote at the meeting and this neighbor attacks you, uh, gets really mad at you. You said you were gonna vote for my case. And just because you sat there and, and listened to them, they thought you and made positive comments. So just stick to trying to tell them to attend the meeting uh, and to provide their comments. You don't want to discuss that at the grocery store or church or parties and people will try to get you. You need to disclose any uh, ex parte dis uh, contact and David's going to talk more about that later. Um, but uh, just don't talk outside the meeting basically. Avoid contact that could ultimately invalidate uh, your, your determination. We found uh, one group I heard of, we had a planning commissioner that uh, he actually voted on his employer's cases for um, several years. And those were found later that they could have invalidated all of his, all of the cases that he voted. Right? Meeting management and conduct, once you behave. So it's always important, even though you could get excited to remain calm, that's kind of, you want to be appropriately behavior. Uh, it's hard for all of us to sometimes leave our personal bias at the door, but we uh, really are a community, uh, a committee of the whole community. And uh, so we should be respectful of all aspects of the community. Uh, it's really hard sometimes more for staff than for planning commissioners to avoid using jargon. Uh, we use SUPs and uh, other terms uh, that are not understandable to the public. So be willing to not talk down to the public, but to explain sometimes or ask for an explanation of what the jargon is. Uh, all your comments should be made on the record. Do not text in meetings uh, you don't, because that's actually making a comment. Um, and but you always want to try to be fair and, and listen to everybody and make that an make an impartial decision. And all of these will help you function while in, while you're providing providing an important service to your community. Really, to have a good meeting, uh, basically a lot of cities use Robert's Rules of Orders. Uh, should be the guidelines. Either you have that or local procedures. Uh, and a lot of times the decisions that you make uh, depend on that leadership you have as a chair of the commission. Uh, the chair really sets the tone for the meeting, uh, should control the meeting and ensure that everybody uh, gets to talk um, and sometimes has to bring the focus back to what the topic is and keep the, keep the meeting moving and uh, always assure that the votes are properly uh, done. Uh, like I said, Robert's rules um, give structure to the, hear to the hearing. You don't want to get into the details of parliamentary procedure. And you also have to consider uh, how to uh, mitigate 
the impacts raised by the public. Uh, those may be come to you as, as a surprise uh, sometimes, and you need to be sure that staff and the other commissioners as well as the public understand what's being discussed. You don't want to debate with the public or the applicant or the, um, you can make your comments later after the motion's been made. You need to be sure you've got all the information needed to make the decision. And sometimes it's necessary to uh, actually not make that decision that day, but to uh, continue the hearing to obtain more information. Uh, to have a fair hearing, uh, really everybody needs to have the right to talk and, and be heard. Uh, sometimes when you have a huge meeting, we had uh, like 120 people at a public hearing one time that all wanted to speak. And the chair was able to suggest that they could uh, should say that their comments have already been made or to have the group stand uh, and be recognized as all supporting or in opposition to the case. Uh, you need to be sure that, they're, that the testimonies that people are giving are relevant, not that they get off on some uh, tangent or something that doesn't apply to the meeting it, uh, that's in hand. Because you really are weighing all the cases against the standards that you have for review. Zoning cases have specific procedures. Uh, subdivision regulations have specific procedures. Uh, in most states, subdivision subdivisions have to be approved if they meet the requirements of their subdivision regulations. Not whether you don't like the street name or the applicant, you still, the, the standards apply. Uh, you should have heard all of the necessary testimony when you begin to vote. And it doesn't matter if you have two people for and 20 people against, it's all in what the evidence that's presented, the case that's presented, how staff presents their case to you and how you discuss it in the meeting with, other, with your fellow planning commissioners. So now in a meeting, you want it to follow a, a general path. So which meeting should open with the chairman describing the rules and that the chairman will read the request or the zoning case. And then usually staff presents a report and then the applicant can present their report. Then you can have the questions or those people that are in opposition or in favor of they can speak. Uh, time limits should be provided. Um, and then the chair will restate the question and that's the time either with the motion being made or a time frame for questions to be asked. Usually the questions are asked before, but they can be discussed after the motion's been made. Again, the chair gets to restate that request and the commission will vote based on the standards and the information that's been provided to them. Your, de your decisions need to be really based on what you understand to be the correct procedure for the case. Um, when you look at voting, you want to discuss that standards of review we talked about. Uh, you don't always have to agree. We had an awful lot of split decisions when I was on the planning commission. Um, uh, and that was actually good because it meant everybody got into the discussion um, because we really do have to vote as the whole commission, not just on one person's uh, opinion. And you really wanna keep an open mind uh, before you vote. Uh, 
I went, I, I had a really pretty terrible case one time where there was a lot of opposition. There was a lot of misinformation out. Um, and I went to the meeting thinking I knew how I was going to vote. Um, and I would, when I heard the case and when I heard the opposition, when I heard the uh, proponents, I totally changed the way I was going to vote. Uh, and those, you have to be willing to do that. That's why you don't tell people in advance how you're going to vote, because that will get you into trouble with them later. You need to recognize again, as we talked about, that the audience or the people that are there to speak don't always represent the all the views in the community. And you don't you don't try in any way to exceed the the authority granted by the codes or your statutes or your meeting procedures.
Well, I'm Michael Blue. I'm here with Stan Popovich from the Village of Downers Grove, and we're going to talk about how to run an effective commission meeting. So, Stan, thank you for coming. Thanks, Michael. If we could get you to maybe tell us to kick off, um, why, is it, why is it important to run a good meeting? Or maybe you've got an example of a meeting that maybe didn't run so well that could kind of help us understand that. Well, I think we've all been in the meeting uh, where we have a lot of public members come, and the meetings tend to drag on as member after member of the public speak about the same topic, and it becomes repetitive. And I think it's really important to have a strong chairperson and, and council members or commission members that to know how to run a meeting and move the meeting along and make sure that everybody has an opportunity to be heard while still getting through the meeting. Absolutely. Um, and just to be clear that we're, we know we're talking about, what's the difference between a public hearing and a public meeting? Is, is there a difference? There is a difference, Michael. A uh, public meeting is whenever a quorum of the public body is present, but the public may not be invited to participate. A public hearing invites the public to participate, and there's a specific time that they can participate in a public hearing. So it's possible that a public hearing could be part of a public meeting? That's correct. Okay, so there, there can be some overlap. Yes, there is. Okay. Um, so every meeting, well, every meeting I've been to, has got some sort of agenda, right? It gets posted mm -hmm. ahead of time and so on and so forth. Where does that agenda come from? Is that something that the staff creates, something that gets created by the, the chair of the commission? How do you put together an agenda? Well, the staff creates the agenda. It's based on applications that come into staff. And typically, it's on a first-come, first-served basis. Staff looks at the agenda and tries to make sure that there's not too many items on the agenda. We try to anticipate uh, potential items that could be controversial or might have an interested neighborhood there that we would anticipate a lot of people coming out. If we do see an agenda that seems to be a little bit more crowded, we talk to the Planning Commission chairman to have their ideas about which items should be on the agenda and which items should not be on the agenda for a specific meeting. So is there a case where an applicant may want to be on an agenda, but you decide, no, you know what, this isn't the right meeting, and then you have to tell them you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks, and have you ever done that, and how does that go? Of course, of course, we always do. We always tell people, it's important to tell people when they apply that this is the meeting we're aiming for, but inevitably something may come up. If you're uh, third in line and we have two other cases that are in line, and we just know that these other cases are going to be long into the night. We don't want to start a meeting in the evening and go to late in the hours when people have to go to work the next day. We want to make sure that the neighbors and the community have an opportunity to speak as well without running the meeting too long. Um, so as a plan commissioner or as a staff member working with plan commissioners, what, what's the commissioner's responsibility uh, regarding the hearing? And also, too, how is the chairperson's role different than the regular than the other commissioners? I'll start with the chairperson because that's probably the most important member on the commission, I okay. think. The chairperson really needs to set and run the meeting and preserve decorum. Uh, we've all probably been in the meetings where the public starts clapping about one item or another, and I think that really could, in essence, hinder somebody with a differing opinion come up. So it's important for the chairperson to set that meeting, set some ground rules. The chairperson also runs the meeting uh, via Robert's Rules of Order, and then he ensures that deliberation occurs, that there's discussion, that we talk about the standards there as well. Now, while he can't vote or well, he can't make a motion, he can vote and he can break ties as well. The uh, commission members, it's important that they support the chairman in their role of setting the expectations from the public and when they can and how they speak and their decorum with the meeting. They're there to listen to testimony, to ask questions of staff, the public, and also the applicant as well, and to base their opinion and their findings of the case on the testimony that's provided based on the standards that are provided by staff or the zoning ordinance or whatever ordinance is applicable at that point. 
and then they can also make and second motions. So we've only just started to dive into the runnings of a, of a meeting, but it already sounds kind of complicated. And if I'm a resident sitting in the audience, I may not know what's going to go on. Is there value or do you have uh, an introduction or something that gets read at the beginning that says, here's what's going to happen? Yes, I think that's very important to have that at the beginning of all the public hearings. Uh, because like you did mention, there's a lot of people that this might be their first time coming to a planning commission meeting or zoning board of appeals meeting. Uh, and so it's very important that the chairperson lays out sort of the order that things go into so people understand that. And also to allow people and tell people when they have an opportunity to speak. So there's generally a specific point in time where the public's afford an opportunity to speak, and that's a great time for them to know that, okay, I'm going to be the third or fourth opportunity to speak here, and these other people are going to go before me. So is there a general order to a typical plan commission? Yeah, there's a typical meeting order to it. We generally call to order the meeting. The chairperson will call to order the meeting. Uh, explain the rules and how the meeting's going to work. Uh, point, let people know where information is, can be found, whether it's inside of the council chambers or the chambers, and if it's online, if they can find it where they can, so if they want to follow along with the meeting. Then they generally review minutes, and then they go into the agenda portion of the meeting where they will open a public hearing or a specific case that they're talking about in the evening, swear in the audience members. So I like to have staff give a presentation to present the case there and to explain the standards that are required to be met. The applicant then typically presents, and at this point, the plan commission or whatever commission it is can ask the applicant questions. And then it's open to the public, where the public can ask questions or make comments about the petition and the application. At that point, the, after that's all done and the questions have been asked, the commission members will typically ask any questions back to the applicant themselves. So if the public had questions, this is an opportunity to get those answers from the applicant, or if there's clarification that staff has to provide. Generally, the public hearing is then closed, so there's no more uh, public comment at that point. And then the board deliberates, and they look at the standards, and they discuss it throughout. Uh, each member has an opportunity to speak at that point and discuss the meeting. Board typically will make a motion, and then the hearing will be closed. And then the, we always like to have the commission, uh, the chairperson tell the public what the next steps are in the meeting. So if that was the final decision or if there's an additional opportunity for them to comment at a village council meeting, for example. So if... If not all the information is available or there's more discussion, is it possible for the meeting to be continued to another meeting where there needs to be more opportunity for input or information answered? And how do the residents know that they can come back to that meeting? Of course. So if there's ever an opportunity where more information is needed or there's questions that are raised that need to be answered, the plan commission or whatever board can continue the meeting that is typically uh, continued to a date certain. So typically the next meeting on the agenda or the next meeting on the calendar. And then what we like to do is we tell people to check the website or to contact staff to see if there's any changes to the agenda or if the, if the item's being pushed back even further. Okay, so there's plenty of opportunity for everybody to know what's coming up next. There are. I like to have people contact staff to stay informed if they need to or to check websites. Okay, that's great. And I think that's an important message in general is that staff is a resource to everybody involved in this process of, of a smooth meeting the commission, the applicants, and also the residents. Right. Staff is definitely working for all three folks, uh, for the commission members, for the applicant, and for the public. It's a public hearing. It's open to the public. We want to keep everybody informed. We want to make sure that people have an opportunity to speak. Uh, so as part of the meeting process that you mentioned, you said staff does a presentation on the case. And so 
doesn't it sometimes seem like the staff is just up there making the pitch for the applicant, that they're just telling somebody else's story? Why, why does the staff make the presentation? Well, staff has a professional obligation to make a uh, professional opinion and an assessment of the case. So staff is going to look at the standards that are required for approval of a certain petition and ensure that those standards are met for the community. So staff is looking out for the community on a professional basis and to try to make sure a professional opinion in terms of standards and how the petition meets the standards and also then how any application that comes forward meets the comprehensive plan or other planning documents that are in play. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the testimony, the part of the meeting where either uh, the experts stand up and talk or the residents stand up and talk um, because that can sometimes be a contentious part of the meeting. Um, are, are there ever limits on how much testimony there can or should be or you know how many applicant or how many residents can speak but how does how does the whole testimony thing work well there's never really any limit to the amount of testimony that can be provided we want to provide a open meeting to anybody who wishes to speak and I think the important thing is, is if, if we see a large crowd in the audience to potentially set a time limit for each person to limit repetitive items here so if it's a five minute or a ten minute limitation on people speaking that provides them with a basis of how long they can speak for and get their points across if there's not much of an audience, then there's not really a need for time limits. But if you see a large audience, uh, that's a good, a good opportunity to have some time limits. Also, the chairperson, if he notes that any repetitive comments, if somebody, if there's a spokesperson that's going to speak for the neighborhood, that's important too. So the spokesperson can come up and say, I speak for these fellow 20 residents out here, and these are our concerns. Then the board knows that there's 20 residents out there, and they're not each coming to the, to the podium to speak, uh, which takes time and can add time to the meeting. Uh, we like to uh, encourage uh, that no public discussion is held after the public hearing is closed. Uh, that's the once the public hearing is closed, no discussion should occur from the public, no additional comments. Uh, additionally, we don't like to set end times, uh, but we do try not to set cases, start cases too late in the evening. If you have evening meetings. It's important the public has jobs and they have things to do or kids to put to school in the morning. And so it's important that we maintain our time frames and allow them an opportunity to speak when it's not too late in the evening as well. And I think that's a great point. I think everybody's got a story about a marathon meeting that went till one or two o'clock mm -hmm. in the morning. Um, and sometimes those are necessary because a decision has to be made because of some sort of timing matter. But, but in general, you know, when people are tired and they've been around a while, the, the decision and the discussion is probably not as good as it could be otherwise. Correct. I would agree. It's really important that people uh, tend to get tired. They've been sitting at the dais listening to testimony for a few hours there as well and then there's also members of the public that have spent their evening uh, waiting to speak so in, in trying to keep the meeting moving along a time limit sometimes is necessary and I know sometimes there's discussion about whether uh, the speakers should be one pro and one con person as well and I don't think that's necessary a lot of times you'll have a neighborhood group come out that that's all against a proposal or all for a proposal and I don't think it's it's fair to call out a pro versus a con and hear back and forth just let the opportunity for the public to come up that goes back to meeting decorum, so everybody's clapping, then maybe that one person has a different opinion, is a little uh, shy to come up, but we always encourage everybody to come up. Well, it, it's interesting, you mentioned it a couple of times, that some, there, there can be clapping at meetings, and there can be kind of some emotional responses that are, that are parts of the meeting. Um, but what's, so, so that, that can play out in the testimony as well. Some folks that will testify at a hearing, they'll be called expert witnesses, right? They're a traffic engineer or somebody with a professional background or the land planner. Um, and then there are residents testifying. 
what's the difference in the testimony of, say, an expert witness and then uh, a resident who's got a, a concern that they want to bring forward? So an expert witness is someone who has the experience, knowledge, skill, and training in a specific area. So whether it's transportation, land use, or design, uh, with the understanding of the evidence. And so they are making their, uh, their determination and their testimony based on facts and how it applies and based on their experience uh, and the application of those facts to the standards in the case. Now, an opinion from participants uh, may be an anecdotal story or hearsay rather than actual facts. And so some of those concerns may be very emotional as you spoke to, that it affects them personally. And so sometimes those anecdotes become very personal and very emotional. Now, the plan commissioners must take all of this into consideration, so it's a very unique challenge for them to take this all into consideration. But they really do need to look at the facts of the case and the standards of approval that are in the application. So what we're saying is just because uh, the concerns of a community might be very emotional and very real, uh, or there might be a lot of people in the room, that's not necessarily what makes the decision. That's correct. Really, the, the number of people in the room should not make a decision, should not change the decision of the board. The board should be looking at the facts of the case and how they apply. So to, to take another step in terms of testimony, can anybody ask anybody a question at a meeting? So if the transportation engineer is, is up doing their presentation, can one of the residents just kind of politely raise their hand and say, could you please explain to us how many cars are going to be there? Is that the way the meeting works or is there a structure to it? There should be a structure to it. So you should have that resident, if that resident raises their hand, come to the podium or wherever the public is speaking and ask that question. I think it's easier, and it should be easier, if we if those questions are taken down by the commission members, and then after the public has spoken, address those questions back to the applicant so that they can answer those questions. Uh, the back and forth between uh, two members of the podium uh, just does not help to quorum. Sometimes that can become more argumentative or emotional in that sense, and then I think we lose some of the uh, some of the qualities of a public hearing. So the idea of remain. Uh, uh, of maintaining decorum, and you mentioned this is part of the chair's role. I guess this is uh, another point at which the chair is very important to this whole process. They're really kind of measuring this, and I know I've seen situations where the chair has really, again, politely and professionally had to say to people, thank you for your comment. We've heard that several times. Is there anything new that you'd like to bring? Um, and it, that, that can be a real tough job for a chair, can't it? It's a very hard job, especially when the audience is full and everybody believes that their opinion is a little bit different than what was heard before. But it's important to continue the meeting along so that everybody has an opportunity to speak. It's also important that the chair holds these meetings and manages these meetings so that we don't get into argumentative ideas here or booing or anything like that. We should allow people to have an opportunity to speak freely without feeling pressured. I think that's, I think that's very important and I've also seen situations where the rest of the commission can be helpful too to the chair that you know they may also remind the public or they may uh, phrase their questions in a way that kind of takes some of the emotion out of the room and really makes the case about fact. Yeah, committee members are, are very important too as well to back up the chairperson. I've seen it as well after some emotional testimony of taking a break, a five minute break, just to let um, emotions cool down a little bit and come back. Um, so let's, let's turn a little bit to the idea of how do we make the commissioners better armed, if you will, to, to be able to do this. So if a commissioner gets their packet and they look through it um, before the meeting and they have a question about a fact or an idea or something in there, what do they do? Can they call staff? Should they call staff? They should definitely call staff. If there's a question on the agenda, they should call staff to discuss what's going on. 
a lot of times some of the questions that the commission members ask are more technical in nature about a zoning ordinance regulation. And so that's something that staff can explain to them that this is what this means, this is how this is applied. If it's a question that they have for staff that really gets to the case itself, then it's better that we will we'll advise them to ask that question during the commission public hearing. Because that's a good question for all the commission members to hear, and it's a good question to have answered in the public realm. Um, if if the if the commission asks a question, or if there's there's uh, parts of a case that might be um, require a special specialty, um, do other members of the community staff ever come to the meeting? The engineer or other folks that aren't necessarily the planners. Yeah, there's always an opportunity for other staff members to come. So if there's petitions that deal with transportation, your transportation engineer can come. If there's public works questions, uh, any stormwater questions, an engineer can come. If there's other ideas out there that the planning staff doesn't have expertise on, it's important to draw those members that do so that they can answer any commission questions or public questions. That's great because we uh, we know that it's not just the planners, the community development department that's part of the process. It's the entire it's the entire community staff that that help build the. Uh, the expertise that's there. Right. The planners tend to know a lot, a, a little about a lot of stuff, and so it's important to have those background experts and other staff members that have that specific expertise to answer those questions, and sometimes to get into the technical answers behind a specific question. Do you typically have your corporation counsel at your plan commission meetings? We do not have our counsel at the plan commission meetings. Okay. I know that some communities do, and I think it's just sort of a matter of personal community preference. It is a matter of community preference. Sometimes if we anticipate a very controversial item, we'll have counsel here. But for the majority of the items, there's no counsel. You mentioned Robert's rules um, and that that's the way that the chair runs the meeting. Um, I think a lot of people think of Robert's rules as sort of an arcane, confusing way to, to take over a meeting. Um, do you ever find that Robert's rules causes a problem or do you find that that structure helps the meeting out? I think the structure helps the meeting out. I think it's Robert's Rules light. I wouldn't say that all the Robert's Rules are followed, but I think generally in the in the process and how meetings are, are moved along, that's how Robert's Rules applies. I think that's a very excellent way to describe it. Um, and, and what about the, the role of the staff at the meeting in terms of helping out the, the commission as they're going through and kind of sorting out what to do? I mean, I know I've been at meetings where things maybe kind of go a little bit askew or there's some confusion about how people should vote or where should we go and is it all right for the chair to kind of look down at the staff and say Stan help me out here what do I do and does that happen and is that sort of out of decorum of the meeting or is that okay I think it's very important for the chairperson to do that uh, it moves the meeting along and makes sure that we're getting the answers and the, and the recommendations that we need to move it to council if there's any questions about voting that's always important too whether it's a, a even number board that night and whether you need a majority mm -hmm to vote for something or to approve something, and if it does end up in a tie, what does that mean moving forward as well? So that's very important. It also helps uh, if sometimes the topic and the, and the discussion can get off track. And so it's important for staff to draw that discussion back into what's being discussed and what needs to be approved that evening or what needs a recommendation that evening. Do you ever um, stop and read back the motion to the, to the commission just so that everybody's on the same page and people know what they're voting for? Yes, that's important to do. Some, sometimes the motions are very straightforward, but other times they're a little confusing, especially if somebody adds a condition or wants to change the motion slightly. So it's important to read that back to the commission members. It's also important to explain on some motion it's confusing. If you vote yes, you're really voting no for something, or if you're voting no, you're voting yes for something. 
So it's important for the members of the commission to understand what they're actually voting for. I know that in a lot of places the recommendation is always you make a motion in the positive so people know how they're, how they're voting. Right. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked about all this expertise that's, that's involved and we've talked about the role of the commission. The commission is going to be making a recommendation to the city council or the village board. Um, if it's just a recommendation, what's the big deal about the plan commission and the public hearing? What, you know, why do they, why do they do this? Well, the plan commission is important, and any any public hearing body is because they actually conduct the public hearing. So, at council, it's a public meeting, but in this case, it's a public hearing where the pe the people of the public are afforded an opportunity to speak. The commission members are members of the public, members, residents of the community, neighbors of the public. And so they have a different perspective on things. This could affect them personally, whereas staff may not live in the community or may not be affected by this. Additionally, the plan commission meeting has more interaction between staff, the applicant, the commission members, and the public. There's more discussion that takes place at these meetings as well. And then concerns about proposals can be addressed at that time too. The commission could choose to continue it so the applicant could work on something without having to move it before the, the council. The uh, plan commission is also an opportunity, it may be less formal than a council meeting and the public may be more comfortable if this is their first time coming to Village Hall or to City Hall to speak in front of people. So there's, there's a whole difference in the level of formality of the process. It's a little more inviting to the, to the community. And I, I think what you said is also very important is that the, um, the commission brings their expertise as residents of the community, uh, which, is, which is also very valuable as, as the process plays out. Correct, and a lot of the commission members may be professional engineers, architects, or in the field, and so they also bring their expertise and their background and their knowledge of other projects that go on or similar projects in other communities. Uh, another question about the, the technical aspects and the expertise. Again, same sort of thing. Um, planners are trained professionals, a lot of them have master's degrees. Um, there's an engineer that's involved. There might be uh, any number of, of, of experts and professionals. Uh, again, how does the plan commission fit into that if there's all these experts with all these degrees reviewing it? Well, plan commission plays an important role because they want to make a recommendation and, and they're looking out for their community themselves. And they're trying to make sure that what's proposed or what's applied for meets the standards in the zoning ordinance. And it's a check and it's a recommendation for us. They're interested in making their community a better place and they want to provide a place for the public to speak and offer their opinions. And so that's what the plan commission does. So as a, as a staff, how do you go about um, providing training or some understanding to the commissioners of how the meeting is going to run? I mean, part of having a good meeting, an effective meeting, is having a well-trained commission. How do, you, how do you help the commissioners understand how to, do, uh, how to do a good meeting? Well, we always talk to our chairperson before the meeting and tell them, explain what's on the agenda and what's coming up and what we anticipate as a staff is any potential issues. We try to hold training with the plan commission members uh, once every couple of years at the minimum to talk to them about new rules and regulations, new laws that have come out, and to see if they have any concerns about how the staff reports are written, how the meetings are held, uh, and how information is provided to the public. So we try to provide them with information and in, in these training opportunities like we're doing today. So Stan, we've talked uh, a bit about the complexities of the meeting, the importance of the chair in maintaining decorum, keeping the, me the meeting going. What would you say are some of the top three or so qualities of a, of a good plan commission chair or a good commission chair in general? The first one would be that I believe the chairperson has to be a little empathetic. A lot of people will be coming to the plan commission meeting for the first time to have to put, 
first time to a public meeting, and they might be a little scared, they might, might be a little emotional about something that might be affecting them. So to be able to be empathetic to that person and let that person talk, but while still maintaining the rules. I think secondly, the, the chairperson has to be somebody that runs a well-oiled meeting in terms of making sure that things are followed, the rules are followed, that the process is followed, the due process is provided. I think it's also important that that person can draw comments out from the different uh, commission members. It's important that everybody has an opportunity to speak and that he offer that opportunity to everybody to make their comments. And then also to make sure that if there is a dis discrepancy or a difference of opinion on the, on the commission, that that difference of opinion doesn't boil over into an argument, that it, there's a professional decorum, there's a professional, uh, there's a professional understanding between the two people of how they, how they act and that both commission members act responsibly and, and professionally. So there's a lot of different hats. There's kind of a referee some of the times and you're sort of the helper some of the times. And um, what about the times where the audience might be getting out of control or people are making comments that are maybe a little bit inappropriate? What, what does the chair have to do to reel that in? Well, I think the chair needs to make those comments known and, and to hit the gavel and to let people know that, that we're gonna operate in a professional manner here and that the cheering or the booing really could impact who wants to talk that time. And this is an opportunity for everybody to speak. We may not agree with everybody's opinion, but again, it's important that everybody has that opportunity. They, this person that disagrees with you has the same opportunity as you. And so whether that's asking people to, to quiet down, to remind them not, not to clap so loudly and to remind them not to clap at all, or then if it, if it does get out of hand to, to hold the meeting or to pause the meeting and let everybody calm down emotionally. Great, I think that's very true. So the, the rest of the commission and um, the part that they play, obviously we described it before, we talked about their role um, and they help the chair and they're responsible for all these points of decorum, making motions, whatnot, if the meeting's going to run well. What kind of background do commissioners have? I mean, they're obviously residents of the community, but um, do they have to have a background in planning or real estate or anything like that? No, there's no real uh, requirement to have any backgrounds. It's anybody in the public that's interested. Uh, some people come into planning late and decide a project maybe impacted them and they'd like to learn more and they become involved in the plan commission. Sometimes it can just be a school teacher who likes to be involved in the community. Really anybody with any background who's interested in serving is a good opportunity for a plan commission member. The APA has opportunities. We share with the commission members planning magazines, planning articles, it's important that if somebody's brand new to this planning world, that they're provided a background in terms of what other communities are doing or what the practices are. We provide training opportunities to those commission members if they're brand new. And also there's a good balance between somebody with a technical background and somebody with a, a resident background who may have a different profession. So people don't have to be expert on parking ratios for mixed use developments in order to become a plan commissioner. Not at all, that's why there's a staff. That's great. Thanks great. very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.